Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. And so today I want to teach you about baptism. And I want to challenge you to think more deeply about what baptism really means. Baptism demonstrates our trust in Jesus Christ. It demonstrates our decision to follow Him, to identify with Him, to say, He's my all in all. He's my Master, King, and Lord. And in baptism, here's the beautiful thing, Jesus identifies with us. Did you know Jesus was baptized? And in that baptism, He identified with us and called us to be immersed into the name of the Trinity. So I want to look again, fresh and new, at baptism today, and I'm going to start with kind of my key scripture for the day, and if you're following along in a Bible and you want to look in your own Bible, you can, but it's Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And before I actually get there, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. How many of you remember what we talked about last Sunday? The resurrection, right? And, and Jesus was on this road to a place called Emmaus. Uh, two disciples were going there, and he was risen from the dead, and he joined them in their journey and began to talk with them, and we, we learned all about that encounter, and at the end of the encounter, because they didn't recognize him, he revealed to them who he was. Well, Jesus Christ is now risen from the dead, and uh, about 40 days, almost 40 days has passed, actually, about, yeah, about, about 40 days has passed, and he's finishing up his appearances to his disciples after rising from the dead, and he takes them to the top of a mountain, and he says, okay, this is it, I'm leaving. And of course, they didn't understand anything he was saying, but he said, I'm leaving, and I'm going to send you to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there and pray, and I'm going to send the promise of my Father to you, and after you receive the promise of the Father, these are the things I want you to do. And the things that he shares with them are what we call the Great Commission. Have any of you ever heard of the Great Commission? So this is really important for you to get this because this is key to what every Christian's calling is for the rest of your life. If you've ever said, Jesus be Lord of my life and you've been water baptized and now you're asking him, what's your will for me? What do you want me to do? This is a key text from the scripture, and there are several others in the Gospels as well. But this particular text is really important for you to understand. Now, a commissioning is when you send people with authority. You send them with backing. And so Jesus has his disciples on this mountain, and he's getting ready to literally ascend into heaven. And before he ascends, he gives them these instructions. So verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, and I want you to notice the wording, it's really important, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wouldn't you say that covers pretty much all authority? I mean, think about that. What is Jesus saying? Think about the implications. Think about governments. Think about systems. Think about your workplace. Think about, you know, our national government, our state government. Think about other global, you know, enterprises and 
and, and large corporations. Think about every place where there's an authority structure, where there are those that are in leadership. And then I want you to recognize that Jesus Christ is ultimately sovereign over all those things and leaders of nations and presidents and kings and your boss. And if you're a boss, you are going to one day stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of how you handled the authority that belongs to him. Now think about that. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore. Now the therefore is really important because he's letting us know, because I have this authority, I can send you and you'll be backed. And you'll see that at the end of the text. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then the interesting thing that follows making disciples is baptism. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And now the kicker, the beautiful promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he finishes it by letting us know, as you go, and as you do what I've told you to do, and as you baptize, and as you teach, and you're continuing to go, I am going to personally be with you, and that authority that I began with, that I said I possessed, will back you. So that when you speak in my name, when you give a cup of cold water in my name, when you demonstrate mercy and love and gifts of the Spirit to people, when you show people what Jesus is like, you're not going to be doing it on your own. It's not going to be like you're standing there going, man, wow, I, I hope that somehow this helps people. But the very fact that you're doing it in obedience means that the Lord will back you. I don't know if you realize how powerful that is, and I've seen God demonstrate that in my own life multiple times as I've had that wrestling with Him, and I felt He wanted me to do something, maybe reach out to somebody on a street or in a, you know, a store or to um, go over and tell somebody God loves them and He's got something for them, and I'm kind of waiting, you know, and I feel like He's giving me things for them, but I'm going through that wrestling, oh, I can't do that, oh, what if I'm wrong, what if I miss it, what if I don't see it right? It's like we were here on Thursday night, and... If you didn't get a chance to, to get here this last week, it was so powerful. But we had a night of worship and prayer on Thursday night. And there was a young couple sitting back here. And the, the, the young man hadn't been here before. And he came in and he sat down. And all service long, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me for him. So finally, I went over to him. And I had never met him before. And I began to speak a word that I felt the Lord gave, gave me. And, uh, and he just begins to sob and to weep. And, and I said, is that right? And he says, you have no idea. Well, what was cool is I, I walked from there and I went up to the sound booth and Noah was up in the sound booth and Noah said, oh, I just gave that guy a word. And I said, really? What did you tell him? And he told me what he told him. And it had, it, it was almost exactly the same. And, and so at that moment, because we both acted in obedience and we went to him, Jesus with all of his authority in heaven and earth, backed us, and we had exactly what he needed to hear. And it was for his benefit, and because of that, he encountered God, and it was like God saying to him, I know you, I know where you live, I love you, I care about you, I've not forsaken you, and it gave him hope. Jesus backs us when we do what he says. Now the first thing is, those who trust in Jesus... I'm getting back to baptism here. 
those who trust in Jesus get baptized. And it's a really simple um, formula, I guess, but sometimes we miss it. Look at what Mark 16, 15 and 16 says. Jesus said to them, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That means to be rescued, to be delivered from harm, to be let out of destruction. Think about somebody in a prison. It means the prison doors are open and they're given full freedom. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you believe and you're baptized, you'll experience that that true rescue from the power of sin and death. But whoever does not believe, notice the connection to baptism isn't there because baptism is the fruit that follows belief. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Oh, that's pretty heavy. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, they respond to that belief by being baptized. It's just like um, when you fall in love. You ever notice that you, you don't need anybody to tell you if you fall in love that you, you know, nobody needs to say um, express affection most of the time. That comes later. <laughs> Sorry. Um, m- most of the time, nobody needs to say express affection or give gifts. Have you ever noticed that if you fall in love with a person and they reciprocate that, you know, you're like buying gifts and... You're, you're, you're making sure that their needs are cared for and you're really like you're waiting on them hand and foot and you're showing affection to them it, it, because you're trying to win their heart, right? You don't have to be told that love automatically takes action. And it's the same way with belief. When you've believed in Jesus Christ, actions happen and they're a natural outflow of something that's happened inside the heart, right? And so baptism isn't like be baptized or you'll go to hell. It's not that way at all. It's more like, you've believed. Now demonstrate that belief before the world. Show them that you've decided to identify with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. See, Raymond Henry shares, McHenry shares a story um, in, in a thing called Stories for the Soul. He says, when Texas pastor Jim Dennison was in college, he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. Now, if you know anything about Malaysia, Malaysia is a Muslim country. Muslim majority. It's the official religion of the state. And while he was there, he attended a small church. At one of the church's worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Jesus Christ and be baptized. During the service, Dennison noticed some worn-out luggage leaning against the wall of the church building. He asked the pastor about the luggage. The pastor pointed to the girl who had just been baptized and told Dennison this, Her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage. What a lot of us don't realize is it's that one act. It's that one act of being baptized. You can privately say you believe in Jesus Christ. You can be, you know, anywhere in the world. You can be in dangerous countries and you can hold a private profession of faith that says you believe in Jesus Christ. But you know believers in persecuted countries really mean it when they get baptized. Because as soon as they get baptized, the word gets out and the authorities come to their home. And many people around the world suffer persecution, they suffer death, they suffer imprisonment because they made the decision to identify as a Christian and the act that said to the whole world, I'm a Christian, was water baptism. See how powerful it is. It's a statement. It's a pledge. Baptism itself doesn't save a person. But baptism is the public pledge and declaration of belief in Jesus Christ. And that's really important because there are some 
Christian groups that teach that actually the baptism itself is what saves you. And you have a very hard time, you know, you'll be able to find a verse like that one in Mark 16 and, and come to the conclusion, oh, it says you have to be baptized to be saved. It's not saying that if you believe, you'll be baptized, that's salvation, right? But it's belief that's key. And belief isn't just mental assent. I agree with these facts. Belief is a heart and life, mind-changing decision where you know that you know that you know that He's real. Right? And He's done a work inside of you. Uh, to further this, look at Matthew 28, 18. Going back to it, look at this. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. The Great Commission shows us that part of making a disciple is the public act of baptism. The word disciple means a person who is taught by a master. A disciple is an apprentice to one who's advanced and has mastered a particular discipline or lifestyle. According to Jesus, the main job of Christians is disciple making. How many of you in this room have been a follower of Jesus for at least 10 years? How many of you in this room have been a follower of Jesus for at least five years? Okay. I, I know I should have gone the other way, right? But it's okay because the 10 years are Am I supposed to raise my hand? It's okay. How many of you have just come to the Lord within the last year? Okay. Beautiful. Got some hands going up around the room. Okay, now listen to this. All of you, including the ones who have just come to Christ in the last year, are, have mastered certain things about your faith. And therefore, you are called to make apprentices, to make disciples. All of you are apprentice makers. Think about it. If you've ever learned to pray, read your Bible. If you've ever learned to take your Christian life into the way you handle your finances or the way you relate to people, people need that. People are broken out in our world, amen? They need somebody who has had the repairing work of God in their heart and life to show them how to do that, to model it to them. And that's what we're all called to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, your great commission from Jesus Christ himself is that you would make apprentices and followers of Jesus. I know that's a tough one, isn't it? According to this text, a a disciple is a person that's baptized into the Trinitarian name of God, taught the commandments and the teachings of Scripture, is growing in obedience to those commandments and teachings, and is blessed with the near presence of God. And that's us. I love this uh, reality from the idea of baptism being devotion and obedience, but early Christians called baptism a sacramentum. It comes from the Latin word for the Roman soldier's oath of absolute devotion and obedience to his general. So to be a baptized believer, follower of Jesus, is to say, I am devoted to Jesus as king, master, and general, and whatever he commands me to do, I will do. That's what it means. See, the problem we have in our country, and I'm going to be bold here, but the problem we have in North American Christianity is that North American Christianity is soft. There's no price to pay in following Jesus. It's easy. You can just be a churchgoer. You can just kind of, yeah, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to be kind of a Christian, you know, and I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want to offend anybody, and we have this cultural pressure, keep it quiet, don't, don't rock any boats, be cool, and, and, you know, being a Christian is kind of cool, right? And so it's okay. Well, have you, have you noticed it's not as cool as it used to be? Right? And, and in other parts of the world, there is a price to pay in following Jesus Christ, and 
He's master and he's king. And most of us, we like the idea of being a Christian if it means I'm loved, I'm forgiven, my sins are washed away. But we don't like the part where it requires a life of obedience. We don't like the part where you know, it means that we're going to actually, with his help, have to change some of the things that have gone on in our life for a long time. The way we treat people, for instance. The way we interact with our spouse. The way we handle our money our integrity, all of those things. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Master begins to work by His Spirit in your character and in your inward person to conform you to His own image and likeness. And when that happens, it can be hard and it can be painful. And sometimes you can feel like, I am getting spanked. Anybody ever been there? And Hebrews tells us that getting spanked by the Lord is an evidence you're a son and you're loved or daughter, and you're loved. So, to follow Jesus is, you know, it's going to cost you something. Secondly, Jesus was baptized, think about this, to identify with our sinfulness. Matthew 3, 13 through 17, look at this with me. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, why did Jesus get baptized? If you're a Christian, or maybe you're investigating uh, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, here's what we learn in the Scripture we learn that Jesus was sinless. And we also learn that baptism, both under John's baptism and under Jesus' baptism, was a demonstration of repentance and your old sinful life being washed away and your new life in Jesus Christ coming into view. Right? And so we're asking ourselves the question, why would the sinless Son of God, who is perfect and has never broke any of the commandments or the laws of God, why would He be water baptized? And I believe the answer is pretty simple. He was baptized, even though he was sinless, to identify with our human sinfulness. So think about it. What happened when he went to the cross? He hung there for you and I. And he began that process all the way from his birth when there was no inn for him to sleep in and he ended up in a stable. He, all through his life, his family suffered and experienced suffering because of human sinfulness. And now he's going down into the waters of baptism, into a baptism of repentance to say to the whole world, I'm here to deal with humanity's garbage. I'm here to get in the pit. I'm here to go under. I'm here to go deep into the muck and the mire of human sin and human need and embrace it and say, I'm here for you because I know the way you are and I know you went into that water saying, change me, I repent, I want to turn, and so I'm going to go in there with you and I'm going to get dirty with you. That's what baptism is for Jesus, identifying with our sin. See, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and repentance was the process of of the changing of the mind, the emotion, and the will of a person. So they recognize how they've been thinking wrongly and living wrongly, and they turn and they begin to embrace a new way of thinking and living. 
Jesus didn't repent or didn't need to repent or be baptized. He identified with us. And then we're baptized to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Many of you know this text, but Romans 6, 3, and 4. By the way, does it comfort you to know that even from the very beginning of his life and right up into his baptism and then his death, isn't it comforting to know that Jesus was always identifying with us? He's not a distant Savior. He's not this one that came down and kind of, you know, sometimes in movies about Jesus, you ever notice he's kind of almost got this glow about him and this otherworldliness, and he seems kind of weird, right? He seems like some kind of weird guru. You know, he's walking around. He's got kind of a weird look in his face. You're like, okay, is he a stalker or is he a Savior? You know, and then he's like, be healed. Yeah, right? He does the thing with the fingers. And, and, you know, here's the truth of the matter. If Jesus walked into our room right now, I mean, you know, and, and, we, and he cloaked himself, as it were. We, did, we couldn't see. He put on a cloaking device like he did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We would think he was a, a common guy. We would think he was like every other person. We'd, like, welcome him. Good to have you with us today. Wouldn't it be weird if he came into our services sometimes incognito? Right? That'd be kind of cool, huh? Well, he's here right now, but you know what I mean. If he came in a form, a human form. But anyway, some of you are like weirding out on me now. What's this guy saying? <laughs> Look at what Romans 6, 3, and 4 says. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too excuse me, we too might walk in newness of life. So when you're baptized, for all of you who were already baptized, think about it. This is what happened to you. When you were baptized, you were baptized into Jesus' death. So he went to a cross and he died and he was put in a tomb and you're being put into a tomb, right? And you're buried. And then Jesus rose from the dead three days later and we bring you out of the water. And for some of you, because of your past and stuff, we hold you under the water a little longer. (laughs) Some of the people being baptized right now are like, until I can't see any more bubbles, and then I bring you up. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't get nervous. I just had to say that. I've been waiting for that. Okay. So we, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our death, and he died in our place. When we're baptized, we acknowledge that we're dying with him and being buried with him. He died as our substitute, taking our death and judgment when he died. I love this quote from Leadership, Leadership Journal. It says, in baptism, I think we might have it on the screen, in baptism, we are initiated, crowned, chosen, embraced, washed, adopted, gifted, reborn, killed, and thereby sent forth and redeemed. We are identified as one of God's own, then assigned our place and our job within the kingdom of God. That's what baptism is saying. I'm going down old, I'm coming up new, and now I have a new commission and a new life. That's what's happening to me. When we're baptized, it's almost like we're experiencing, think about this one. Oh, this is awesome. When we're baptized, it's almost like we're experiencing the only death and judgment we will ever experience for our sin. Uh, I'll say more about that. But I want to tell you, 
when I was worshiping today, um, I, I just began to think about this, this idea, this idea that we've already died and, and been judged. And I had a word for somebody here, and I'm just going to tell you what I felt. And this is both for maybe if you're facing a situation, uh, and I know at least one person in here that is, but if you're facing a situation in your life where you're terminal, and by the way, we're all terminal, right? It's just a matter of time. Sorry, that kind of rained on your parade, didn't it? Uh, We're all terminal, right? But if you're terminal in the short term, or if you're here today and you've lost someone close to you, and you love them, there's this idea, even culturally, that death is final. We say that. It's final. It's over. It's ended. But can I remind you of something? The Scripture teaches death is not final. For the believer in Jesus Christ, it's a crossover. And there's a day when not only will you be reunited but you'll have a new body in a new heavens and a new earth and everything will be recreated and you'll really begin to live more than ever before without the taint of sin and death, the life you were created for. So, so let me remind you, even if you've lost someone that you dearly love or you're facing death, death is not an end. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great theologian who died under the Nazis in World War II. They stripped him naked about two weeks before the Allied forces came into Berlin. They stripped him naked and they hung him to death. And his last words were, for me, this is the beginning. That's confidence. It's really important for us to remember that because our world and our system work so hard to get us to develop an attachment to the here and the now. That's why we fight for our possessions and we fight for our stuff and we fight for what belongs to us. And I just want to encourage you, sometimes we just need to let it go, turn it loose and remember there's more to the story. It's not the end. It's a new beginning. Amen? Amen. So when we're water baptized, we see ourselves dying in Jesus, being buried in Jesus and being raised again in Jesus. We identify with that death, burial, and resurrection. By faith, we see our former person and our former life dying in Jesus and a new kind of life being born. We see our sin being judged in the death of Jesus. He paid the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And in baptism, we experience our death and our judgment for sin. When we emerge out of the waters of baptism, we emerge in resurrection life like Jesus did when he rose again. And this idea that that's your death, that's your judgment. When you go under, that's your spiritual death. It's happening at that moment. It's that's the only time you're ever going to truly be judged for your sin once you're a follower of Jesus Christ because you were already judged in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good to know? Woo! And this takes me to my last point, and I'm going to hurry up because we have to release and get baptized. Baptized! you got to say it right, right? Like a Pentecostal. Got to get baptized! Woo! Okay, here we go. Again, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I know you know the text, let's look at it again. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, I'm going to get into something kind of mysterious here, but to be baptized is to be immersed, washed, and saturated in the name, think about it. 
into the name of the Trinity God. The Greek word baptism or baptized means to be immersed, washed, and saturated. When Jesus tells us to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, He's telling us to be immersed, washed, and saturated into the name of the Trinity God. What does that mean? What's a name? In the Bible, a name represents the character, reputation, authority, nature, and presence of the person. When you spoke a name, it's as though you were bringing the person into the room. To be baptized in the name of the Trinity God is to be immersed into His character. Think about this. It's to be immersed into His character, His reputation, His authority, His nature, and His presence. This means that your old character and nature dies and a new character and nature are in you and you become like that character and nature, the nature and character of the Trinitarian God. The implications of this are simple. A person who's truly born again has been immersed into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That person's also been immersed into the character, reputation, authority, nature, and presence of God. As this person becomes a disciple and learns the teachings of Jesus and obeys them, they're changed to become like God in character by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our entire Christian experience is to be an experience of continually being immersed and washed in the name of God. This means that a born-again person who's been baptized will be a changed person. They will more and more take on the characteristics of God's name because their life is immersed into the life that is God's name. Here's the idea. Being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit isn't just a ritual. By the way, can I say this too? If you're being baptized today and if you've been baptized in the past or you're considered being baptized, let me say something really important. Baptism is not magic. Okay? Baptism is not like, whoa, I need to be baptized because then everything will be better. No, no. Baptism is a public declaration of a work that's already happening internally inside of you, right? So you're you're proclaiming this thing that's happening inside of you, right? But there is a mystery, just like when we take communion. Yes, communion is symbolic, but Jesus will meet you in communion and strengthen you and forgive you and cleanse you, even though all you're doing is drinking a cup and eating some bread. The Holy Spirit comes to take the benefits of His death and bring them to you in communion. In the same way, in baptism, today, if you're being baptized, I'm thinking of those of you that are being baptized today. As you're being baptized today, let your faith rise. Believe that the Holy Spirit is going to meet you in the tank, right? When Jesus came out of the waters, the Holy Spirit came on Him, and the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son, and I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you today, and God will speak in your heart, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, I embrace you, I own you, I love you. You can experience that sense of your identity being strengthened in the baptismal tank as the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So I want to encourage you, as you're water baptized today, and and those of you that uh, remember your baptism, this is a great opportunity for a recommitment. This is a great opportunity for you to be saying, man, I've been out there, but I'm ready today. I want to be immersed again in the Trinitarian name of God and His character, His presence, His love. Fill me again fresh and new, Lord. Does that make sense? See, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, you'll be growing more and more over time to be like Him. If you're not growing more and more to be like Him, and you don't hunger and thirst to become like Him, it's important to re-examine your life and be sure you're in the faith, right? Baptism isn't magic, as I said. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you more religious. It's your response to what Jesus has done within you. If Jesus has changed your life, your next step is to be water baptized because you believed in Him. 
Get baptized next time we do baptisms. You know, we had eight more people that wanted to be baptized, but for various reasons, family things and different date things that came up, they weren't able to be. So we had a bunch of people to be water baptized, but maybe you're here and you've made a profession of faith in Jesus, but you've never been water baptized, and you've even had that question, should I be baptized? And the answer is absolutely. Follow Jesus, right? Amen. Amen.